You're listening to Orange County's only station with critical business information, Critical Mass, with your host, Rick Franzi. The Critical Mass is the coast. I am your host, Rick Franzi. This business talk show airs live on Thursdays at 3 p.m. Exclusively here on Internet Radio Station, octalkradio.net. If you're listening to the show in the future as a podcast, we encourage you to consider listening to the show live during our broadcast time here on this Internet Radio Station. The show is brought to you by our valued sponsors and advertisers, Commerce National Bank, Succession Strategies, Smart Business Magazine, and Smart Stop Self Storage. The goal for this show is to help you, our listening audience, make better business decisions. Critical Mass Coast to Coast is a production of Renaissance Executive Forums and Critical Mass for Business. Renaissance Executive Forums brings together top executives from non-competing companies into an advisory board process through which thousands of leaders gain fresh ideas and new insights. We have two interesting guests with us today, and if you're listening to the program expecting to hear my interview with Dave Hess, and Dave is the principal at Delta CFO, well then you're in the right place just a little early, because I'll be interviewing Dave Hess a little later in the show, but I encourage you to stay with us, because we have another interesting guest before Dave, and his name is David. So that's interesting. And his name is David Stefano, And David is the president and CEO of Richardson's. We're going to bring him on the show. We're going to talk about a bunch of different things. He has expertise in global sales training and strategy execution for companies. We're going to be talking about that as well. But let's welcome to the program our first guest. David, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks for having me. It's our pleasure. Let's start by asking you, I said a little bit about what Richardson does, but I'm sure you can explain it in, with more depth and richness. So could you share with our audience a little bit about the firm and from your perspective and your client's perspective, what makes your firm unique? Sure, happy to. So uh, you described it uh, appropriately from the tagline perspective, sales training and strategy execution. So we work with our customers to develop custom, customized solutions that are anchored by training, right? So when we work with an organization, we will typically set out a strategy for them to both organizationally address what's needed to enhance development that leads to behavior change, that leads to performance improvement, and obviously business outcome. And at the same time, we'll develop the training programs that will give each individual in the sales organization new skills, new behaviors, new knowledge and structure that through their sales process and methodology and culture and, of course, sales leadership. So we look at it very holistically and develop solutions that actually drive business outcome. So what, what our customers or clients would say is unique about us is primarily that whole customized uh, approach. We are uh, unlike many of our competitors in that all we do is uh, very specifically tailored to that uh, organization's strategy, footprint, challenge, et cetera. So each solution looks a bit different from, from the other. So tell us about a typical client. What type of firms do you, does Richardson work with? Well, because of the investment in customization, we typically work with larger organizations. So someone like a MetLife, maybe a First Data, PricewaterhouseCoopers, those kinds of organizations. And it, 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 it ranges, right? So ideally, uh, an organization who has a culture that has sales development woven into the culture. So oftentimes organizations think that training is a one-time event. You just put some people in a room and you train them and they're supposed to retain the knowledge and suddenly be different. That doesn't happen. We all know that. So when an organization has that, uh, that the view of development from a, from a cultural perspective, that's the kind of organization we want to work with because training is not a one-time event. It's not a one-time initiative. It's an ongoing effort of development that has to be sustained, managed, and measured. So those are the type of organizations, and we'll typically, you know, with some of these that I named, we train 6,000 people a year, you know, um, so it's all over the lot. But it's generally when an organization is ready to embark on a true 
behavior-changing initiative. Richardson is on the short list. So tell me about your professional background and sort of what you did, David, before you joined Richardson. Well, a crazy path to uh, where I am today. So I, I've had two two positions my entire career. So I've been with Richardson. This is my 20th year. Wow. Uh, but prior to being with Richardson, I spent 10 years at PricewaterhouseCoopers, first on the audit side and ending up on the consulting side. Didn't know anything about this world of training. I joined the company uh, when the entrepreneur, Linda Richardson, uh, and I had a chance uh, meeting. It was $3 million in size. Uh, were vastly, vastly uh, more significant than that today. But I had knew nothing about it, wasn't prepared to uh, to come into an organization, but was lured away. Linda had obviously the ability to sell and close and negotiate, and after a short period of time, I found myself in this small company with 35 employees, and I was really brought in to run the business for her. Uh, she had gotten it to a point it was primarily in the focused in the banking industry. She had all the Wall Street banks as clients but really had something that was leverageable. And today, you know, we had record revenues uh, this past year and record profits and record clients and just, you know, a trajectory that uh, is is pretty exciting um, to look back on. So I joined as the chief financial officer, became the chief operating officer, and six years ago took the role of uh, president and CEO succeeding Linda. Uh, excellent. I um, see from your bio on your website that you individually have been have have been recognized as a top executive by Best in Biz Awards. Sure. Could you could you tell me a little bit about that award and sort of how they selected you? Well, yeah, I um, I'm not sure I could do it that much detail, but it's a, it's an organization that's uh, that's independent of, of 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 course Richardson, and there are many. Uh, you know, this space is interesting. It's a, in the U.S. I'd say that that there's somewhere in the neighborhood of about seventy billion dollars spent on training, all forms of training. And that would include internal and external expenditures. So there's a lot of attention paid. Analysts um, and organizations who are looking to, you know, recognize uh, leaders in the space. So this particular organization, I think, is a relatively new uh, organization, and it was an application-type process. I'm sure my um, marketing team submitted me for the award. But it was, you know, it was recognizing the accomplishments that we've we've been able to achieve, you know, uh, under my tenure. We've been an Inc. 5000 company for four years out of the six, and just, you know, have expanded our solution, grown to 140 people globally, operations in, you know, in the U.S. and uh, Europe and Asia, uh, product expansion with partners. So we've really done some great things to be able to really provide our customers with a full, comprehensive solution that that enables them to get the leverage off the investment of training because we are, you know, training, you know, training will, uh, the impact of training will fade very quickly if it's not reinforced. And that reinforcement needs to be part of the customer's organization, primarily in the management level where they, where they truly adopt the methodology and hold people accountable. So when you can give them tools and systems to do that, you're really helping enhance the investment and development. What percentage of the companies that you have seen would you say really have that commitment to an ongoing training program and not the mentality that, well, I spent money once five years ago to train them on that and <laughs> right. they didn't really get it, so I'm not going to do that right. anymore. That's a great question. And, and again, uh, we're probably um, not unlike many other companies where, you know, I'd say our top 50 clients you know, represent 80% of the revenues of the company. So, you know, it, it's it's rare. Believe it or not, it's rare. Despite it being sort of intuitive that that would be the case, training is one expenditure that's often cut when times are tough. So, you know, I'll, I'll answer the question this way, which is maybe telling a bit, that when we hit the recession back in the end of 08, 09, 10, the companies, you know, you saw all the companies that sort of treated training as something that they had to do, almost a check-the-box mentality, cut back on training. But there were a handful of companies that seized the opportunity and made seven-figure investments in in trans sales transformation, which is really looking at it from an organizational point of view as well as an individual point of view. So our business actually grew during that time frame because there were organizations willing to make the investment in that period to say, I can't cut back on Salesforce development because that's the lifeblood out of this mess. So it's not, it's not a large portion of companies. 
a large percentage of companies that have that mentality. Many say it, but don't do it. Uh, but certainly there's enough that uh, it's a growing, thriving market. And, and certainly a, today, a critical business driver for any company to have Salesforce development at the top of its list. And that's a tone at the top issue if they truly value ongoing training and development or if they just sort of walk the walk it to make either themselves feel good or their shareholders feel good or maybe sure. the HR department. You know, and, and the danger there is, you know, the sales force. The sales force has, you know, oftentimes heard the flavor of the day. This is our new strategy and our new vision and for the next four years we're heading in this direction and you know, at the first sign of trouble they're cutting the bottom out of that initiative, right? It only have to, that only has to happen one time for a sales force to really lose uh, faith that the leadership uh, is committed to it. And then try it again two years later, you've got that that skepticism barrier that's in place, right? Yeah, sure, this is only going to be short-lived as well. So it is a, it is a, it is a, uh, an obstacle for business leaders to address. And, and we really work with, you know, many of our clients are, have been with us, you know, in excess of, uh, five, seven years. And those clients truly get it. And there you can see the growth. It's measurable. You can see the impact. And you're doing the organization a service because in today's day and age, especially with the generational changes, uh, the younger uh, people coming into the workforce are looking for companies to do something for them. It's not all about, you know, when I started working where, the, you know, you came in and it was all about what you could do for the company. Today it's about what the company can do for you. And development is certainly one differentiating aspect. I completely agree. We're going to take our first commercial break. When we come back, David, I want to go in a couple different areas with you with the time that we have left here on Critical Mass, coast to coast. I'd like to talk a little bit from your perspective about employee engagement. And I think training and development is a huge component of having an engaged workforce. So, um, if you're comfortable discussing that topic when we return, that's going to be the topic on the plate, ladies and very gentlemen. Much. So you good with that? Yeah, very much. All right. We're going to take a commercial break. And then when we come back, as I said, we're going to talk about the magic of an engaged workforce and kind of what the responsibility from, you know, is from the owner, from the executive's perspective to create that engagement. But first, let's spend some time with our sponsors. Stuff to the right, more stuff to the left. Got enough stuff, but I can't take a step. So I smart stopped and took a minute to think. I need a little better spot, not under the sink. With smart stop, I leave the stress at the door. Cause it's the smarter way to store. Smart stop bucks the system. Your first month's rent is just a buck. Your next three months are half off. Call 888-97-STORAGE and mention this station. Goodbye clutter, hello floors. Smart stop, the smarter way to store. Can we talk about your family business? You know, that thing you put your whole life's blood, sweat, and tears into? Well, what happens when you retire or try and pass that business on to your children? At Succession Strategies, we can help you find the answers. We'll guide you through the unsettling process of protecting your family legacy and successfully passing your business on to the next generation, safely and securely ensuring that it'll both survive and thrive for generations to come. So ask yourself just one question. Can I really afford to wait? Take the first step. Take our complimentary self-assessment at SuccessionStrategies.com or call us at 714-560-9022 to set up a free consultation at your convenience. That's Succession-Strategies.com. Welcome back to Critical Mass Coast to Coast. I am your host, Rick Franzi, and we have two guests today, both with the first name David. What are the chances that my engineer asked me? I said, it's chance. So anyway, before the break, we said we're going to talk about employee engagement and how it relates to, as maybe even dependent on, employee development and training. So from your perspective, working with your type of clients, what's the inner relationship there, David? It, it, there's a very tight relationship. So, you know, the Gallup organization, I believe, is the um, the first to actually have measured employee engagement uh, in, a, in a precise way. And, you know, the, the, the statistics change uh, year over year. But, you know, when I last um, 
the last stats I saw were something like in, the percentage of the workforce that's engaged in an organization is, is less than 25% truly engaged. And on the, on the other end of the curve, there's about an equal percent that's actively disengaged. And you would define those people as disruptive and negative. And then you have people in the middle who just aren't engaged, right? They're here doing their job, but they're truly not emotionally connected. And that emotional connection is very, very specific in terms of uh, being able to demonstrate that um, the studies from Gallup show that engaged uh, employees are four times more productive than disengaged, right? So how does one engage employees? Uh, there are a number of factors. One is recognize the importance of the employee. Define behaviors that you want your employees to uh, exhibit and demonstrate. Invest in tools and training to help get them there and measure and set and celebrate. I think Gallup pointed out that the single biggest factor uh, with respect to whether a person's engaged or not is their direct relationship with their superior. So therefore, if you're thinking sales, that frontline sales manager becomes a, uh, a force multiplier, if you will, for engagement. How close they are with their people and the quality of that relationship will really dictate the level of engagement. And, uh, you know, when you take it one step further and you think about, you know, laws of customer experience, if you will, you know, unengaged employees don't create engaged customers. So the, the risk of having uh, some failure in your engagement, uh, in your engagement levels across your organization, especially sales, is very, very significant to the outcome, the business outcome of, uh, of that entity. That's interesting because uh, you you really are in command. Uh, you really do have a command of employee engagement. It, it, it's encouraging to hear you talk because I I connect to a lot of the points that you were making, and it um, it even has a relationship when you have an engaged workforce to the employee's health and welfare. It just sure. the the research that I've seen also said the quality of their life. The, their how they how fit they take how well they take care of themselves how they show up at home as a parent is affected through the relationship that they have with their employer. Sure, I mean just think about the past few years, right? I mean I think we're starting to see some signs of recovery, you know, that are sustainable in the economy. But the level of stress over the past few years, where companies had to do reductions in workforce, you know, that that may have never had to do it before, suddenly, you know, for no reason other than the business failure, not for performance. You know, your colleagues that you sit next to are, are gone, right? That you can't underestimate the impact that that has on a person's sort of outlook, stress level, fear factor, all of those things getting in the way of their ability to perform, you know, in an unencumbered manner. So it is a subjective aspect, you know, to, to business, but it's certainly becoming more of a science and, and one that can be measured. And you know, I'm not sure you're familiar with the net promoter score concept, but, you know, which really measures customer loyalty. Um, but, there, you know, now there are concepts that measure employee loyalty the same way, that you truly can measure and control this. And it, and it takes a great deal of commitment on the, on the side of management. You know, you can't just have the top senior management talking about, here's the vision and what we're all about, and then having it cascade down in a manner that doesn't reflect that vision because right there is where the trouble starts. Relationship between the manager and the employee because that really defines the company experience for most employees. And so, uh, you know, this concept of, of training and development, it really, it can't be stressed, I think, enough around um, managers who have to be collaborative and to get people to work for them. You know, this idea of discretionary effort. In other words, mm -hmm. does the employee willingly give above and beyond without financial re rewards because they feel it's the right thing to do is, I think, part of the key to having an engaged workforce that gives a firm a competitive differentiation that is really hard to duplicate in the marketplace. Very much so. And you see, you know, there are examples of companies that are out there who do this superbly, like Ritz-Carlton you know, is one that comes to mind. Uh, oftentimes, and you know, they th these kinds of organizations build into their culture uh, this aspect of engagement. You know, and you know, I think when I, if I get their tagline correctly, it's ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. So right there, when you stop and think about that statement, they've they're defining the expectation for the employee in their in their um, in in Ritz Carlton and how they want them to carry themselves, conduct themselves, and treat their 
uh, you know, their guests in the hotel. You know, JetBlue is another where they call it Jetitude, and it represents the what the customers see, which is driven by the attitude of the employee. And how you get there is not just training. I wouldn't say training is the sole, um, the sole driver, but it's establishing what the expectation is of your people and how you want them to behave, and then supporting that, right, and measuring it. Measurement is critical. The earlier point that you made, David, that the next gen, the next two success, I'm a baby boomer, so the, the generations after ours that are entering the workforce or have been in the workforce for a while, they have a higher expectation for the kind of relationship that they want to have with their employer. I think you said it well when you said they're looking also for, you know, what are you going to be giving me? What am I getting out of this? And, um, I have seen surveys and research that says training, skills development, Giving them competencies that are transferable beyond the current employer is highly valued by the younger generation, and it makes a lot of sense. Well, because they want to connect to something more than a paycheck, right? So, you know, the Ritz-Carlton example I gave you, they're not a client, but, I, you know, we often model ourselves on, on companies that really do it the right way. And, you know, I just uh, found as I was speaking, you know, some of the detail that I had, and they, the foster, how they foster that environment of the gold standard, they call it, is each manager gets 250 to 300 hours of training a year and that a customer complaint is owned until resolution. So no matter who takes that complaint, you cannot transfer it to someone else. There's quality improvement manuals. So you can see the depth in which an organization can go to establish its, you know, its promise. And the employee promise at Ritz-Carlton, which I think is a very powerful one, is our ladies and gentlemen are the most important resource in our service commitment to our guests. So if you read that and they truly can live that, well, why wouldn't you want to be in an organization like that? They make it simple to understand and they live it. So it's it's certainly achievable and and more important than ever, especially with uh, the tumult that's out there in the in in the business world today. You said that you're starting to see the seeds of a sustainable kind of improvement in the economy. I I am cautiously optimistic as well. Here at Critical Mass, we've branded 2013 as the growth zone. You know, we're all about top-line revenue, improving the business, continuing to grow. I think it is time for leaders of small, mid-market companies, large companies to really train in on getting market share and getting their growth engine going again, because I do believe we are finally starting to see the recession that's somewhat in our rearview mirror, and hopefully that's where it's going to stay, ever getting smaller. Uh, Where do you see the growth opportunities for Richardson in the next three to five years? Well, you know, you know, as you described us from the start in terms of our byline, so, you know, we were a sales training company at our root. We became a sales performance improvement provider when our solution became bigger, trying to really differentiate, even though who knows what that means. And today we're back to sales training and strategy execution. So I would echo your sentiments that, you know, the past three years have been about transformation, and now it's a game of execution. So for Richardson... We've spent the time during these tough years uh, building the solution, right? So you know, although uh, growth was tough in these past few years, we invested in our solution, widened it, brought in the competencies that we needed, have a strong, the best team we've ever had. So right now, the opportunities for growth are to make sure that our message in the marketplace is understood, that it's compelling, and that organizations looking to drive uh, business outcome true business outcomes through a sales organization are talking to us. And uh, we work across all sectors and we work globally. So I don't think there's any one pocket. Um, it's simply being ready and, and being known to the marketplace sufficiently that, uh, you know, as they begin to re-engage in, in investment, here we are, to, you know, as a, as, a, as a prominent provider. You know, the, the area of um, sales and sales training I had the good fortune to hear the author Daniel Pink speak last week about his latest book, which is his research on the art of selling and what technology has done uh, to kind of reframe how people view selling and the role of selling in an organization. So I, I've got to think that over the years that you've been with Richardson, you, you've really seen an evolution of the type of training that and skills development that are now available to salespeople and almost require to salespeople because they no longer hold the information. The customer, many times through technology, internet, has a 
pretty good understanding of the marketplace before that salesperson ever walks through the door. Yeah, Rick, there's a great debate waging right now in the, in the industry about whether the buyer has more control or not, right? Studies have said, you know, up to 57% of the buying process occurs before a buyer engages a seller today, right? So that's a debatable point, right? But if it's true, what's happening is the buyer has all this access to newfound information, can evaluate, um, you know, providers long before ever, you know, requiring a salesperson to come in and tell them all about their solution. The second aspect is that selling with insight is vital. We believe this, but it doesn't take the place of, you know, identifying needs. And insight is, can I bring an idea uh, to a customer that uh, helps them with their business outcomes, you know, at the front end of an opportunity? So not just going in and asking a lot of questions for needs and saying, help me understand your business needs and then I can sell you a solution. It's I'm bringing you something at the front end and I'm going to stimulate opportunity using insight. So both are uh, getting great deal of attention in the space. You know, we've we've uh, enhanced our training and and modified some of our programs to include using insights at the front end of a sale because I do believe it's valuable. The danger is, you know, it, it's not like a pocket full of insights are available for a salesperson, right? And everything you read on the web doesn't uh, doesn't necessarily uh, mean it's um, a best practice or an appropriate uh, an appropriate opportunity for every company. And then how you really deploy that is very, very critical. So it's, you know, there's a lot of change. There's a lot of attention being paid to it. And, you know, the buyer as well. Is the buyer more in control or is the buyer mirrored in chaos because of this overload of, of big data that's available? It's yet to shake out. But I do think that selling has has uh, evolved to its next level, which is beyond consultative and needs-based selling, um, organizations are looking for providers and salespeople to bring them value in the sales process. I think the, I agree with you completely, and I think the challenge for, for salespeople today is to be an effective communicator because of that. Very because you, 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 can, you can spend an hour with a prospect, and neither one of you have moved the needle at all because there's so much to talk about and consider. It is really the effective communicator who understands how to help that client that I think, with all this information, is the one that becomes the trusted supplier. Yeah, there's a tagline in our um, account development program that we that we use to, to, when we're talking about value. Value not communicated is value not perceived. So you're, you may be able to help your customers with enormously, bringing enormous value. But if the customer doesn't realize that value, it's not perceived. So that all comes back to communication. And so we've come full circle, right? You know, technology was going to eliminate the need <laughs> to have salespeople. And, if, and I think the statistics that Daniel showed us from his research is, you know, uh, back in the about nine out of what a hundred people were in sales you know, a couple decades ago. A recent survey said about nine people out of a hundred in the U.S. economy are still in sales. We still, you still need salespeople. It, it didn't replace, you know, online purchasing didn't replace the ability and need for a good sales organization to perform to help a company grow. Yeah, it certainly changed the B two C world, but in B two B selling, you know, I think. People buy from those that people people buy from people they know, they trust, and believe they can bring them value. So the the aspect, you know, Daniel's book to sell is human is sitting right here on my desk. Uh, there's no doubt that selling is human, and there's no doubt that relationships and dialogue are vital to uh, successful selling today. Great. Well, if someone would like to find out more about your firm, how do they find you online? What's your website? It's www.richardson.com. Thank you for uh, being an interesting and informative guest. I appreciate the time. I know uh, you're there in Philadelphia. I want to thank Ken Wax, our Renaissance Executive Forum's partner in the Philadelphia market who brought you to our attention. Um, you were all as billed and more, and I appreciate the time that you've given with us and sharing a little bit about what you know about your field of expertise. Thanks, David. Rick, anytime. Thank you. Have a good day. Continue success. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that was our first of two Davids today, and we're going to be with our second guest, Dave Hess, who is the principal at Delta CFO. But first, we're going to take our second commercial break 
to spend a little bit of time with these sponsors. My company made the switch to Commerce National Bank about six months ago. Our relationship officer was there every step of the way to make the transition as seamless as possible. We had an early hiccup with a deposit scanner, but they dropped everything and drove right to our offices to help. We couldn't feel better about our decision to switch. Instead of calling an 800 number and navigating through automated menus, now I call my Commerce National Bank relationship officer directly for any questions we have. Just knowing that they're so easily accessible and willing to help really puts me at ease. They offer the same technology as the big banks, but deliver it with superior service and training. They're also rated a full five stars by Bauer Financial. So if your organization is a small or medium-sized business in Orange County, you should make the switch too. Call Mary Miller, Senior Vice President, at 949-870-3863 or visit them online at www.commercenatbank.com. That's commercenatbank.com. Give Commerce National a chance to do better than your bank, and they'll handle the rest. Smart Business Network is a business-to-business multimedia company providing insight, advice, and strategy for C-level executives of fast growth, middle market, and large companies. As one of the nation's largest publishers of local management journals, under the Smart Business name, Smart Business Network publishes 19 regional print editions, presents dozens of large and small-scale business conferences and award programs, and produces a vibrant interactive digital media presence. For more information, visit us at www.sbnonline.com. There's something happening out there today. All across America, we're seeing encouraging signs of economic recovery. Businesses are once again thinking about new growth, and new opportunities are emerging. But it raises the question, is your company positioned to take full advantage of the economic recovery and the opportunities it presents? Maybe it's time to ask, how has the recession impacted your business model? Is your business as relevant as it once was? Should you consider entering new markets or expanding into new categories? And what do customers really value about their relationship with you? The golden thread through all these questions and the answer to each and every one of them can be found in just one place. Your brand. It's much deeper than your logo and much bigger than your advertising. Your brand is the enabler of your entire business strategy. Rikas Baird is a brand strategy firm that can help. They specialize in business branding. They've helped hundreds of companies from startups to Fortune 500 leverage their brands to drive growth. They can do the same for yours. It's really quite simple. Find out more, just visit brandingbusiness.com. That's www.brandingbusiness.com. And plant the seed for economic growth. Welcome back to Critical Mass Coast to Coast. I am your host, Rick Franzi. This show is one in our series of Critical Mass radio shows. On Tuesday, we bring interesting interviews with California business leaders on our flagship show, Critical Mass Radio Show. We're in our fourth year with our Critical Mass Radio Show, and it can be heard live at 4 p.m. On Wednesdays, we are our show featuring Southern California nonprofit organizations and their leaders. All three of our shows can be heard live here exclusively on octalkradio.net, or they can be rebroadcast anytime from Apple iTunes, Stitcher, as well as other podcasting services. All of our shows as well can be found on our website, in case you wanted to know, Critical Mass for forbusiness.com. Okay, we're going to get to the second of our two guests today here on Coast to Coast. As I said, it's also our second guest by the name, first name, David. I think you go by Dave, though. Dave Hess is principal of Delta CFO. Dave, welcome to the radio program. Thank you. It's great to be here. Uh, Let's get started by asking you, tell us what Delta CFO is, what you do, and how you do it differently than others in your space. Delta CFO is a is a CFO financial consulting company. 
we do a lot of interim CFO work. We also do project work in uh, finance, in IT, and operations. Very kind of linear. If it's the left brain, that's kind of what we do. And uh, Delta came from, uh, I have a Carnegie Mellon background, and so Delta is change. And so a lot of what we do is to be a change agent, to ask questions, to try and develop uh, KPIs, to drive performance. And also, I mean, I, I'm a child of the, the animal house, so Delta was the Delta house, so Delta is also fun. And <laughs> And you have to have fun. If you're not having fun, it, the long hours, the, the change really can, can drive you crazy. Did I hear you say you went to Carnegie Mellon? I did. That's interesting because I, too, went to a college in Pittsburgh, just down the street. It's the University of Pittsburgh. Yeah, you, you might have heard of it. I did. I actually spent some time there. If you been to the original's hot dog shop? Of course. Uh, the we called it there. I was there years ago, and we called it the Dirty Oath bike then. But I'm sure now it's much cleaner, and, and it was never really dirty. I don't know why we just called it that. My, so, yes. my daughter just got into the Pitt Nursing School, so oh. she might be going there, or she might be staying in New Jersey, or who knows where. Okay. Are you from Pittsburgh? No, I'm from the Philadelphia area, and we live okay. in the the Philly suburbs in New Jersey. And but you went to school at Carnegie Mellon. I did. Yeah. Ah, it's a great school. Congratulations. You, uh, you must have some brain power, my friend, to be able to get in there. <laughs> well, that's what some people say, so I'll, I'll defer to that. But it's, uh, uh, it, it's good. It's challenging. I started there with industrial engineering, that I wanted to get a background, a lot in operations, and I wound up uh, going into the business school and getting an MBA from, well, then GSIA, now the Tepper School of Business. Okay. And what did you do before you started? I, I take it. As the principal, are you the founder of Delta CFO? I am. And, and so what did you do prior to that? I did uh, a lot of I did positions as COO, a CFO. I worked a little bit in corporate America with Motorola, with General Instrument, and then I went to work for in the, uh, the small space with working with a few startups. And uh, it was actually born of necessity. I was working for a startup, and a lot of funding dried up. So I, my, my full-time gig at the startup went to part-time. And so I said, well, maybe I could, could sell out some time and, and work with a bunch of other clients and do some fun and exciting work and, and diversify. The area of hiring interim, part-time, C-suite type of people, executives, uh, was a growing trend in the U.S. already. And, but I think the reset, one of the, um, outcomes of the recession uh, was that it actually helped that industry grow more quickly because people still had the need for that skill set, but many times I think they were looking for other ways to bring that talent onto the team, and an interim uh, offered a very attractive, I think, investment opportunity You know, for people versus making a full-time commitment. Because many times some companies, you know better than I, need that CFO-level experience, but they don't need it 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They need it uh, periodically. Uh, and so I, I just see this this part, this segment really has, I think, somewhat benefited from the recession, even though the growth trajectory was positive before the recession took hold. No, I think you're exactly right. And that's one of the things I push is, is the 80-20 benefit. So you, you, if it's for someone who couldn't afford a CFO of my, of, of my level, you can buy a slither. You can, you know, almost a timeshare, if you will. And, and with the 80-20, you know, I focus really on the big opportunities. And I, I try and keep it very simple. This is what we want to do. Get it on a sheet of paper. Get focused. And just try and focus on, you know, five critical activities I think can benefit. And just keep it simple and focused and drive, drive change and drive, drive results. The other benefit that I've seen from this model, this time slicing of a CFO, this time sharing, to take your phrase, is smaller companies who would like to have access to the brain power of a CFO but can't afford them in their budget now are becoming, it's becoming an accepted practice such that it's not a new frontier, it's an accepted industry with people and validated it allows a new, uh, I think it expands the market for the type of talents that you and the people on your team possess as well. It does. It, it, it definitely does. There's, as, as things grow, as trends take off, and as industries grow, it gains market acceptance. And, and there's a lot of smaller companies that perhaps are trying to raise funding that to get involved with and, and 
understand the business, develop a business model, and you know, work through all the financial assumptions as well as the operational assumptions, and you know, work with companies to try and help develop a plan that they can execute, but also then they can perhaps use to, to fund the company to drive growth. I've even seen family, yeah, family businesses, many times in entrepreneurial and family businesses, mid-market companies, um, the, the, there are two areas that I think they underinvest in. One, coincidentally, is in the sales area. And earlier today we had a, you know, the other David that we had on was talking about sales training and sales force development. And I think the other place that they shortchange the company is in the area of the financial management. You know, many times they start with a part-time bookkeeper. It's a big decision to get to a full-time bookkeeper. Then maybe they develop a controller. But rarely do these five, $15 million, maybe even $20 million companies have a true CFO sitting at the table to to help them strategize about the future of the company. And I would think that is a role that would be tremendously valuable, having someone like Delta CFO bring in a person who learns their business and can help them just that way. Uh, it, it definitely is. And, and, and it's interesting because there was one approach where someone wanted a full-flight, top-notch CFO at $3 million. He says, I'm going to be a $15 million company, and everyone's telling me I'm crazy to hire at this level, but I know that's where I'm going to be, so I'm going to hire and get there. And then there's other examples where the company has been at 40 million and they they're still on the bookkeeper, and they finally realized, hey, it's time to come over, and they're like, oh my goodness, I I wish I'd done that so much sooner. And and there's also when you look at it, especially because because we've been in several family-owned businesses, is a lot. Sometimes you look at it, what's best for the business and what's best for the owner. And in some cases, potentially, if you're in a turnaround situation, they might not be the same solution. And so you have to present both solutions so they fully understand, listen, in order to drive and turn around the business, this is what you need to do. But personally, here's where you're at, here's your situation, this is something you may want to do, and it may be different. And both options need to be presented and explained. Interesting. You know, my engineer is telling me we need to take our third and final commercial break. So when we come back, Dave, I wonder if you could share with us what you see as the founder of your company for the growth opportunities for Delta CFO. In other words, fast forward us out three years and, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about what that looks like and kind of where you, where you're going to get that growth. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, stay tuned. Don't go anywhere. We only have, I think, two commercials that we're playing during this time. We're going to be back before you know it. Ladies and gentlemen, stay tuned to Critical Mass Radio Show. If you are an Orange County business executive, this message is for you. Do you ever feel isolated with no place to turn for advice or feedback? Who holds you accountable to your commitments in your company? Where do you find the right resources to help you and your company grow? If you have these questions, then Critical Mass for Business might be the answer for you. Critical Mass for Business is committed to helping you make better decisions. These are groups of peers running businesses just like you, providing a great sounding board to test ideas and concepts, review plan and goals, and present issues and opportunities for discussion. The result is improved strategy, accountability, people, and execution skills. If you are interested in learning more, go to www.criticalmassforbusiness.com and learn more about our executive peer group. Welcome back to Critical Mass Coast to Coast. If you've not seen our internet TV show, well, it would be a good time to start now. You can find it on our website, criticalmassforbusiness.com. The focus for our radio shows and our TV show for the month of January here has been growth. And so our guest on the TV show is the CEO and founder of Yogurtland, which is a fast-growing Orange County-based yogurt chain. And Philip Chang is the founder and CEO. I think you'll enjoy the conversation that I have with him where we talk about how culture has been the foundation for his company's sustained growth. All right, let's turn our attention back to our guest today here on Critical Mass Coast to Coast, David Hess. He is principal of Delta CFO, and before the break, David, I said I was going to ask you to share a little bit with the audience about your plans for growing the firm. Could you do that, please? Sure. I see, I guess, probably three major areas of focus. One is getting more involved in, in larger projects, 
Right now, we tend to take on single-person financial projects, but looking at more at systems implementations, perhaps reorganizations of groups, and trying to uh, just take the whole 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 enchilada instead of you know working with the team to change the progress over time. I look at the you know, the, the project management triangle: good, fast, cheap. Pick any two. And so if you want something good and fast, then people are worth investing in a team to come in and knock it out in three weeks instead of doing it internally in 90 days. The next area would be taking a look at, at perhaps some some more of the, the bookkeeping or entry-level staffing to put a key person in there. Once you get in there and things are fixed, to have someone you know there in, in a staffing model at, at a lower level. And, and the last one is probably, you know, Perhaps you know merging with a, another firm to get a, a certain level of critical mass, and and then taking a level of growth from there. That's interesting that, that you that one offers the best opportunity to to probably build a critical mass and build because as, as you as you hit certain plateaus, you start to to stretch against the uh, stretch against the growth. Do you need to how, how much can you afford to invest? And when you have other people, perhaps the lows and the highs balance out and, and level load. It's interesting you talked about adding um, bookkeepers and controllers. My experience is the easier you can make it for customer for prospects to start doing business with you, and then deliver value in excess of the financial transaction, the more natural it is for them to move up the value chain with you over time, allowing you to charge more for your services by offering more advanced services. You know, many times companies come in with a very high sticker price or something and and that limits the ability if you believe that for the you can make money at the lower dollars but then you can exceed their expectations it makes it you a very natural company for them to go to for the because the truth be told most small and mid-market business owners are so busy running their business they don't want to go through a lot of vendor selection if i've got a good vendor that's doing x will they do y for me as well it's sort of easier decision for them is 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 that your strategy or am i putting words in your mouth one avenue, I, I think, what I, it's it's a good service. A lot, lots of people, especially at lower levels and the small companies that are growing, exactly can't afford to to spend a higher ticket. So you get in, and as they grow, you're now a partner they can grow with. Sometimes that you, you get in and you identify an immediate problem. You look and look around and say, okay, who's going to solve it? And you look at the bench, and there really isn't that person to solve it. But you need a quick solution. So it it can work bottoms up. With, with with starting low and building high, but but a lot of times I find somebody can work top down. Once you're in there, they trust you, and they've got a problem. You can bring someone in there to to solve and fix issues real time. That they'll pay for the solution. That's right. Just make it go away. Yep. <laughs> right. and, and that's a lot of it. But the other part of a CFO on staff is modeling the future accurately, and it's an area that I find that business owners can really benefit from vetting their growth plans against an experienced financial person because you see it differently and the set of questions that can be asked by having a CFO on staff uh, can really sort of future-proof your plans a little bit better than if the engineering and operations and marketing guy or lady get in a room with the CFO and don't have the financial person helping them kind of vet the thinking a little bit deeper in their area of expertise. In addition to being the leader, putting together the plan, you're kind of the facilitator just to make sure everyone gives you their assumptions and you need to match them, make sure it all rolls together. Okay, if you're really going to sell this volume, how much production do we need? Okay, how, many, how much people does that translate? Okay, what's the production plan? What's the materials? What, you know, who are our critical vendors? Do we have the cash to do it? And the one thing I tell people is, is you know, the plan is the plan and the actual is the actual and they'll never be the same. You know, the, the plan is to try and get us focus directionally. This is where we think we want to be in revenue. Do we think we have the salespeople, the marketing budget to achieve it? Okay, if we achieve it, do we have the ability, the capacity to produce it? Do we have the cash to do it? And do we have the people necessary? And then as we go either higher or lower than plan, we now have a roadmap to make adjustments on. It's kind of the roadmap of our future. That's interesting because uh in the coaching that I do with CFOs and CEOs and business owners here in Orange County, I ask them to think about financial performance not as a lagging indicator, but a leading indicator of their business. In other words, don't just use your financial muscle to report how you did, 
but use it to plan how you're going to perform in the future. And when companies start to make that mental change on how their relationship with their financial department, with whether they have a controller or a CFO or whoever they might have, I think they get much more value from that position than if they only look at it as reporting history. How did we do? How did we close? Looking backwards. Use that team to look forward. Way back early in my finance career, I worked for a general manager who said, Dave, I want, I'm driving the car. I want you to be the guy in the passenger seat telling me, turn left. I don't want you to be looking out the rear view window saying, hey, two miles ago, I think we hit something. <laughs> and that's, that's where a CFO is. And sometimes, you know, there are very good controllers who, who bridge, but controllers, accounting managers, you know, they, they build the foundation because getting the data right, making sure everything's posted correctly, making sure there's accurate cost data, is the foundation behind all the planning, all the projections, and and good growth. And so, while it, the, the real the, the value of growth, the value of the future is looking f- forward, it's, it's building a house, and it's only as good as the foundation, which is built on the accuracy and the integrity of the number in the uh, in the ERP system. Exactly. If someone would like to learn more about your firm, how do they contact you or find you? Well, my site is being revamped. If you go there, you'll get the future home of cool, something cool. So by by the end of the weekend, it should be up and running. And it's www.deltacfo.com. I'm on LinkedIn as David Hess. There's probably many of me under Delta CFO. Or just call my cell, 856-906-0299. Appreciate you being on the program. I want to thank Ken Wax again from Renaissance Executive Forums in Philadelphia for bringing you to the show's attention. I wish you continued success in your area of expertise and look forward to speaking with you in the future as as your firm continues to grow and thrive. Thanks for being on the program today, Dave. Great. Thank you very much for having me. Bye. Bye. Well, ladies and gentlemen, today's show went a little bit long, and I want to thank our engineer for giving me a little extra time. I um, had We had two very interesting guests today, and time sort of went with a very thoughtful answers and uh, kind of wide range of topics. I hope you feel the time spent with us either live or on the podcast was well worth it, and you'll come back and consume more of our content as we're here to produce information that you can use. I'd like to thank our advertisers because without them, the show would not be possible. Commerce National Bank, Succession Strategies, Smart Business Magazine, and Smart Stop Self Storage. If you'd like to learn more about Executive Forums, visit their website, executiveforums.com. Our engineer for today is Paul Roberts. Our marketing communications manager is Kelly Faltus. Our guest coordinator, Kathleen Shepard, our producer, Rachel Franzi, and I am your host, Rick Franzi, saying until the next time we have a chance to talk, here's hoping that all of your decisions move your business in a positive direction. You've been listening to Critical Mass Coast to Coast, right here on OC Talk Radio dot net <laughs>